The Protestant Reformation, then and now, takes you on an exciting spiritual journey that explores church history in the 1500s, Bible prophecy in these last days, and the mighty issues facing each one of us today as we await the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Enjoy these eye-opening presentations with Pastor Steve Wolberg of Whitehorse Media. Welcome to part two of a 10-part series on the Protestant Reformation then and now. Program two is entitled, Martin Luther, Jesus Christ, and Antichrist. As I'm sitting here in our recording studio getting ready to launch into this topic, I feel the need for prayer. It's just so important. This is such a big, controversial uh, issue that we're about to look at that I'd like to pray. So uh, if you would just hopefully, if you're driving, don't stop driving, but just if you can, pray a prayer with me. Dear Father in heaven, in the name of Jesus, we pray for your blessing upon this program. May it be enlightening to all who listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, we are continuing a series dealing with the history of the Protestant Reformation, some of the highlights, and how this applies to us today in the final Reformation before Jesus returns in the clouds of heaven. Because so much of the Reformation was connected to Martin Luther's personal experience and struggles, we need to take a closer look at his life. As I mentioned in part one, an event which radically changed the course of Luther's life took place on July 2nd, 1505. At that point, Luther was basically a happy-go-lucky law student who had recently completed a master's degree and started his law studies at the University of Erfurt in Germany. He took a break and decided to visit his parents, and he was on his way back to school when he was caught in a terrible thunderstorm just a few hours outside of Erfurt. Lightning flashed and struck all around him. Uh, The thunder rolled and Luther was terrified and history tells us that he was actually thrown down to the ground. Completely uh, distraught and desperate, he cried out to Saint Anne and he said these words, if you help me, Saint Anne, I will become a monk. And Luther uh, survived the ordeal as we obviously know And he went home and he told his dad about what had happened and about the vow that he had made to become a monk. His father was shocked, disgusted, and angry, for he had been pinching pennies for a long time to give his son a good education in law school. But Luther stuck to his solemn promise made to God and to St. Anne. And finally, he had one last uh, party with his university friends. And then on July 16, he entered an Augustinian monastery in Erfurt to become a monk. At this point, he was a sincere searcher for God, but he had a lot of false ideas that were rampant in 16th century Europe based on what he had been taught and what was a common teaching of his time. Luther thought at that time that the best way to serve God and to please the Lord was to abandon his family, his friends, his home, and to try to get as far away as possible from the evils of the world. It must have been a sad day when Luther's uh, school friends and some of his former professors watched him, clothed in black robes, slowly disappear behind a convent door. But Luther had made up his mind, and when he made up his mind, he stuck to his choices, 
Uh, nothing could change his views. So there he was. He was in the monastery. And there's a lot that went on inside those cloistered walls. Uh, and during a six-year period, Luther did what monks did inside monasteries. He fasted. He didn't talk very much. Uh, he prayed a lot. He even whipped himself, hoping to earn the favor of God. I don't know if you've ever tried to earn the favor of God or thought about that. Uh, I think it's a common problem that people have had for a long, long time. I think it's because we don't really understand the goodness of God and his, his mercy and the salvation that is available through Jesus. Uh, we often try to earn our way to heaven. Sometimes we think, you know, if I just go to church enough or if I give enough money or sometimes even if I hurt myself, uh, that this will, this will please the Lord. But none of that's true. And Luther eventually learned that. Uh, while he was in the monastery, one time he went three days without eating or drinking. Uh, he was missed at a monastic service, and someone came to look for him and found him unconscious on the floor inside his little cell. Luther later said these words, quote, If ever a monk could earn heaven by monkery, it would have been me. Yet for all the severe treatment of his body, in his soul he had no real sense of pardon, no sense of forgiveness, or of true spiritual happiness. He just didn't understand what the Bible says about the grace of God. Uh, one of the main verses that Luther eventually came to understand was uh, is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. I think I mentioned this in program one. It's a powerful text. We can't read it too many times. We need to memorize these words and really grasp their spiritual meaning. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, verse 8, that by grace, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, back inside the monastery, God raised up a friend whose name was Stoppitz. Stoppitz was uh, also involved in the monastery. He was one of Luther's superiors. And history tells us that Stoppitz started opening Luther's mind to the Bible. He told him to look away from himself, to cease the contemplation of infinite punishment for his violations of God's law, and to look to Jesus, his sin-pardoning Savior. Here's a quote from Stoppitz. He said, instead of torturing yourself on account of your sins, throw yourself into the Redeemer's arms. Trust in him, in the righteousness of his life, in the atonement of his death. Listen to the Son of God. He became man to give you the assurance of divine favor. Love him who first loved you. A messenger of mercy was shining light into the darkness of Luther's mind and heart. And those words made a deep impression upon this monk. After many a struggle with long-cherished errors, he was finally able to grasp the truth that Jesus was his Savior. And peace came to his troubled soul. But inside the monastery, this was just the beginning of a tremendous light that was to shine upon him. As he kept trying to figure all this out, Luther kept returning to his Bible, which by this time was becoming his familiar friend. There was one particular part of the New Testament that really gripped Luther, and that was Paul's letter to the early Christian church in Rome. 
Again and again, Luther read that letter, often by candlelight, hoping to discover how to get right with God. Here are Luther's own words as he described his experience. Quote, he said, I sought day and night to make out the meaning of Paul. And at last I came to understand it thus, through the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, is revealed the righteousness which avails with God. It is a righteousness by which God, in his mercy and compassion, justifies us. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Luther continued and said, Straightway I felt as if I were born anew. It was as if I had found the door of paradise thrown wide open. Now I saw the scriptures altogether in a new light. I ran through their whole contents and compared them and found that this righteousness was really that by which God himself makes us righteous. And then the expression, the righteousness of God, which Paul quotes in Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, that expression, the righteousness of God, which I so much previously hated before, now it became dear and precious. It became my darling and my comforting word. So what's basically happening was that Martin Luther, this monk, was finding the peace that he had previously sought uh, by doing all these works, by beating himself, by fasting, by depriving himself of food. He found that peace simply by taking God at his word, by trusting in his grace and in his promises, and ultimately through believing that Jesus Christ was his righteousness. This was predicted actually in the Old Testament in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, verse 6, it was predicted that there would come someone whose name would be called the Lord our righteousness. And that Lord our righteousness is only Jesus Christ. The Lord of heaven and earth, who was born in Bethlehem, who lived a perfect life in our behalf, who suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane, who gave his life on a cruel cross, who died for the sins of the world, and who rose from the dead, and who went to heaven. He's up there right now, and it won't be long, I believe, based on all my research concerning the signs of the times, that we are in the time right before Jesus is going to come back again. Well, back to Luther. To make a long story short, he was in the monastery for six years. He was ordained a priest and eventually he was assigned to become a theology professor at the University of Wittenberg and to become the pastor of the town church. Now, during this whole time, Luther kept studying the Bible. And as he did, the light began to get clearer and clearer and clearer. He read the book of Romans. He read Galatians. He read the letters of Paul. He just kept studying uh, day after day, night after night. And as he did, Jesus Christ became the light of the world to him. Jesus became the light of his world, the light of his life, the hope of his salvation. As I mentioned in part one, the uh, Reformation crisis that people have been commemorating the 500-year anniversary of in October of the year 2017, it was in October 1517, that the crisis hit over the issue of indulgences, which were being sold by the Catholic Church to raise money to build St. Peter's Church in Rome. The idea basically was that if uh, people would pay money, all their sins would be forgiven. They would get a certificate of indulgence that promised them 
uh, eternal life, both uh, that they wouldn't have to worry about their sins both in the past or in the future. And these certificates of indulgences even promised that if you have a relative who has died and is in purgatory, suffering in the flames, they can be released through your purchase of this certificate of indulgence. The historical date was October 31, 1517, the famous date we've talked about before. In program one, Luther posted upon the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, 95 famous statements of protest against indulgences. Just today I was on online and I decided to Google those 95 statements and they were there right in front of me. So you can do the same. You can read them yourself. You can find out exactly what Luther wrote. Just Google Martin Luther, what were the 95 statements? And you'll find them. And it was primarily because of the new invention of the printing press that these 95 statements quickly circulated throughout uh, Germany and throughout all of Europe. And it was this one event, this bang, bang, bang on the door of the church, these 95 statements, the single event catapulted the name of Martin Luther into the limelight. And people have been talking about him, about that event, uh, and thinking about this for over 500 years. Now, it's important to realize that when Luther nailed his statements to the door of the church, at that point, he was still a Roman Catholic priest. He had no thought of ever being anything else. There were still a lot of uh, Catholic traditions that he still deeply respected, but, uh, you know, he just, that's what he was taught. That's what he knew. The light was starting to shine in his mind as he was studying the Bible, but he was still a strong Catholic. He also had a deep respect for the Pope, who at that time was Pope Leo X. And uh, history tells us that Luther decided to write Pope Leo a personal letter, and he hoped that the Pope would listen and respect his ideas and at least give him a fair hearing. But that is not what happened. Pope Leo uh, clamped down and said, no, we're not going to listen. You can't do this. Uh, You're making a big mistake. You need to recant, which means basically uh, turn away from your heresy, from your teachings against indulgences. And eventually, Pope Leo even said that if Luther didn't recant, that he would be burned at the stake. Now, that really made Luther mad. Uh, One day, surrounded by students at uh, Wittenberg in Wittenberg, Luther had a big bonfire, and he took the, some of the books of the Catholic Church and the threats of the Pope, and he threw them into the flames. History tells us that the conflict kept growing between the former monk and the Pope. And as it developed, uh, one day Luther wrote this, quote, he said, I am reading the decretals of the Pope's. And I know not whether the Pope is Antichrist himself or whether he is his apostle. So misrepresented and even crucified does Christ appear in these writings. So Luther, it's obvious, began to start to uh, wonder. He said, I know not whether the Pope is Antichrist himself. He started to wonder, is this possible? Could the, the leader that I have respected for so long, the leader of the Roman Catholic Church of my religion, Could he somehow be uh, so far against Jesus that he is actually Antichrist? 
Well, as the battle intensified, Luther continued to read his Bible. He studied what God's Word had to say about Antichrist. And what does it say? I'd like to share with you a number of statements from 1 John and 2 John. Actually, the word Antichrist is used five times in the New Testament, that exact word, and they're all in 1 John and 2 John. And let me just uh, quickly go through what some of these verses say. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, and I've got it right here, John was writing to the early Christians who were struggling with uh, the inroads of false doctrines. This is what John said, 1 John 2.18. He wrote, Little children, it is the last time. As you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now, this is the first time the word Antichrist is used in the New Testament. And John is talking to the early believers, and he said, You have heard that Antichrist shall come. And then he said that even now, which applies to the first century and beyond, that there are many antichrists. So according to John, antichrist was coming, and it's not just one person, but there are many that would rise. Now, verse 19 is very interesting. Verse 19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now, what John is saying is that these antichrists, who were sort of uh, little antichrists in preparation for the big antichrist that John said was coming, these many antichrists were coming out from us, he said. And the word us applies to the leadership of the early Christian church. And this tells us that the development of antichrist does not come from outside of Christianity but it comes out from within. John said, they went out from us. In verse 22, he continues and, and wrote, who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is anti-Christ that denies the Father and the Son. So this clarifies that anti-Christ uh, denies the Father and denies the Son. Verse 26, John wrote, these things have I written to you, concerning them that seduce you. So he's warning Christians about antichrists, many antichrists, that were trying to deceive the early Christians. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, John said that there was a spirit of antichrist. He said, you have heard that it was coming, and even now already is it in the world. In 1 John 4, verse 4, he, he talks to the early Christians, and he says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. For greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, it's very important to realize that here John is warning about the Antichrists and the spirit of Antichrists. They're coming from within the church, not from the outside. And it's the early Christians, and going down through history, obviously, this still applies to us. It applied to Luther, it applies to you and to me. Uh, we must overcome these antichrists. In 2 John, verse 7, John wrote that there are many deceivers and antichrists that are in the world right now. 
And in verse 9, he said, to overcome these antichrists, Christians must abide in the doctrine of Christ, which is the doctrine of the gospel and the truth of the scripture, that salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ alone, that he is our righteousness, that salvation comes through trusting in him and not through our own, our own works. Now, I want to go back to 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, where John wrote, he is antichrist that denies the father and the son. Uh, Antichrist is very subtle. It's not something openly obvious. It was something that was happening among the early Christians trying to uh, subtly and deceptively deceive them away from Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this. The Pope is often called by different different phrases, and uh, a couple of the main phrases that he is often referred to, uh, often by media and by people within the Roman Church, he is called the Holy Father and His Holiness. Now think about that. Do you think that any mortal man really deserves such a title? Holy Father or His Holiness? In John 17, verse 11, Jesus prayed to God, and Jesus called his heavenly Father the Holy Father. So God alone is our our Holy Father. That's what Jesus called God. For a mortal man to claim this title is, uh, is actually a denial of the only Father, which is God himself. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, Paul makes a very, very significant statement. He says, there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, and it is the man, Christ Jesus. Now, I've never been really that good in math. Math was never my favorite subject in school, but I know what the word one means. And when Paul said there is one God and one mediator between God and men, and it is the man, Christ Jesus, Uh, I can understand that. And it's basically telling us that Jesus is the only way that we are to get to the Heavenly Father. But the Roman Catholic teaching is that people can reach God through popes and priests or dead saints like St. Anne. And if you really think about it, and if you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to understand what the Bible is really saying, going through other people or dead saints Uh, really is taking the place of Jesus Christ. It is a denial of the Son. So when you really look at the title, the Holy Father, that's a denial of the Heavenly Father. And when you really look at the idea that we have to go through priests or saints uh, or popes in order to get to God, this is really a denial of the Son. And in 1 John 2, verse 22, we have a very clear statement where the Bible says that he is anti-Christ that denies the Father and the Son. The word antichrist is a combination of anti, which is the prefix, and Christ. And the prefix anti can mean two things. It can mean against Christ, or it can also mean in the place of Christ. And so we need to watch out for what uh, is against Jesus and also things that subtly replace Jesus in our minds. There's a famous saying, and I'll quote it to you, came out of the Protestant Reformation, and this is the saying. 
In the Protestant Reformation, the Reformers discovered both Jesus Christ and Antichrist. Uh, I have a series of statements right in front of me where Luther specifically, he became very clear on this topic. This is a quote actually that appeared in in, uh, Newsweek, November 1, 1999, page 71. Newsweek reported that Martin Luther was the first to identify the papacy as such with the Antichrist. At first, he discounted the words and the value of the book of Revelation, but then he saw in it a revelation of the Church of Rome as the deceiving Antichrist predicted in the Bible. And this was a view that was to become dogma for all Protestant churches. Here's another quote from a famous uh, historical book called The History of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th Century, written by Merle Daubigny, page 215. It says, Luther proved by the revelations of Daniel and St. John, by the epistles of St. Paul, St. Peter, and St. Jude, that the reign of Antichrist predicted and described in the Bible was the papacy. Three years after he posted those 95 theses, uh, after seeing the response of Pope Leo threatening to burn him at the stake, and after all the studying that Luther did in the Bible about Antichrist, he finally made a statement August 20, 1520, where Luther declared, quote, we are here of the conviction that the papacy is the seat of the true and the real Antichrist. Now, I know those are uh, politically incorrect statements, but it's history. You can Google Luther and the Antichrist, and you can find exactly what Luther believed, and this is what he taught. Now, I want to make it clear that uh, nothing I'm saying, uh, my hope is that it will not be viewed as an attack on Roman Catholic people. Remember, Luther was Catholic when he went through much of his experience, uh, but eventually he had to make a decision. And the decision was, should he follow Roman Catholic official teaching, or should he follow the Bible? And I believe that uh, all of us still have the same decision to face today. Uh, Is another Reformation needed right before Jesus comes? What do you think? Do you think that we need to get back to the Bible, back to the truth? Do we need to understand Antichrist today? Uh, Some people think, well, that was just a long time ago, Steve. That was in the 1500s. are, are those same issues still relevant for us right now? Let me just tell you a quick story. In 1983, I traveled to Europe. In one of my many stops, I went to Rome. As I went from place to place, I visited a famous uh, Roman Catholic church in Italy where people climbed upstairs on their knees seeking God's favor. Uh, I remember standing at the top of the stairs and looking down and seeing a group of old women uh, grimacing as they went up Uh, stair by stair, on their knees, hoping to find forgiveness and the favor of God. When I looked at those women, I thought, no, you don't need to do that. I I thought to myself, you don't need to do that. Jesus Christ is your righteousness. For those women, Antichrist had led them away from Jesus Christ and from his love, from his grace, from his truth, from the message of the Bible— from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, that salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. The truth that salvation, peace, and everlasting joy comes not through our own efforts, not through beating ourselves or climbing up stairs on our knees or doing any number of uh, a whole host of works, but it's through faith in Jesus Christ, our righteousness. 
In our next program, we're going to zero in more on Bible prophecy. We're going to take a look at Daniel chapter 7. We'll look at the rise of the little horn, which both Protestants and Catholics agree represents Antichrist. The title is called Discovering a Little Horn with a Big Mouth. Don't miss it. You've been listening to the Protestant Reformation Then and Now with Pastor Steve Wolberg of Whitehorse Media. To learn more about this topic, order your copy of the inexpensive pocketbook titled The Antichrist Identified by calling 1-800-78-BIBLE, by ordering online at whitehorsemedia.com, or by purchasing the ebook on amazon.com.